0: to take this opportunity to salute Bishop Julian Killian for having us. Such a blessing. Can we salute and celebrate the man of God? Amen. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Uh, if you're a pastor, you understand that it's not easy to give your pulpit out. Not because you want to preach every Sunday, but because you are careful the kind of diet you give your followers. So, such a privilege. We honor you, sir. Thank you for this opportunity. We want to also celebrate all the pastors, resident pastors. You know, I met you. And all the pastors that are assisting this wonderful work. We salute you. Jesus, honor you. Reverend Jackie, Reverend Maureen, Madam. Thank you so much. Hallelujah. I want to celebrate everyone also here in service. Can you clap your hands for Jesus? And shout, I'm glad I'm in church. Praise God. Amen. Came all the way from Ghana, and uh, I must say that we are falling in love with Kenya. And God brought us together with my wife Deborah for this wonderful assignment in Kenya. And I tell you, I know Kenya is going somewhere. Hallelujah! Amen. Amen. All right, so quick into the word. Uh, I want to share on something very important I believe, as believers, we should have. Now, the thing about the scripture is the Bible says in the book of Psalms 119 that the entrance of thy word brings light and gives understanding to the simple. In Acts chapter 8, the, the you know, Ethiopian eunuch was in his chariot and the Lord spoke to Philip to join the chariot. But when he got close to the chariot, the Bible said he asked the eunuch, Understand what thou readest? That means that. As Proverbs 16.22 says, understanding is the wellspring of life. Let me explain something to you. What Proverbs 16.22 is saying is, anything you don't understand does not come alive. Understanding is the wellspring of life. That means that anything that hasn't come alive is a product of lack of understanding. So he says, Wisdom is the principal thing. In all you're getting, get understanding. Because I can have an ability, I can have grace, but without understanding, what I have will be wrongly used. So the Apostle Paul did not pray for us to receive more power, he did not pray for us to receive grace or anointing. He says, This prayer I pray that God grants unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation that the eyes of your understanding will be flooded or enlightened that ye may know. So, without knowing, you cannot do. That's why it's so important that you have to find the word of God, hearing the word of God as premium above all else. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Oh, hallelujah. I'll give you one interesting thing. Because I'm a prophet, sometimes um, the Holy Ghost interjects with many details. Sometimes in the teaching, we prophesy. And that's what Jesus did. Whilst he preached, he says, he heard their heart and said, why say it you in your heart? Then he changes the subject, addresses it, and comes back to his message. So, am I permitted to do that? Hallelujah. All right. So, what I want to share with you is very important about the new covenant, the blessing in the new covenant. Now this is a very remarkable truth for us as children of God, because in Hebrews chapter nine, from verse sixteen, he said every covenant or testament comes alive when the death of the testator happens. So when the person that brings the um, what he called brings a covenant is alive, it's not yet a covenant. It's not a will. It's not a will if you are alive. It is a will when you die. But the blessing about our Lord Jesus is, Bible says in Romans chapter 4 verse 25, that he was delivered because of our sins and raised because of our justification. That means that it is Jesus in his resurrection that granted us inclusion. What that meant was, when Jesus died, he died for our sins. But if he remained in the grave, there will be a problem. A will will be given to us, but we might be cheated out of the will. So Jesus died as the testator and resurrected as the executor. So because he is alive, he shows us what is available. Praise God. Now, if you understand this truth, then you understand that if you do not know the purpose of life and understand the goal of God concerning life, you would sort of change yourself and wonder why Unbelievers have what you have. Because many times we've even defined the finished work of God to be a car, a house, a marriage, a child. But that's not the finished work of Christ. Because if you listen to the entire demograph of how the priesthood was conducted, the Bible says that when the priest offered the sacrifice and it was accepted, he stood and shouted, tetelestai And in Psalm 89, the Bible said, Blessed are the people that hear a joyful noise they get excited because if God accepted the offering, that year there'll be rain, there'll be bumper harvest, there'll be glory. That means that the bumper harvest, the children, the car, the houses are the products of the finished work. Amen. Then it means I need to find what work God was finishing. Praise God. Amen. If I know what God was finishing, I can understand the terms of the new covenant. Amen. Amen. Praise God. All right, so I'm going. Can we go? Now, in Romans, Paul wonderfully narrated the journey from man's creation, decadence, to the exacting of God's restoration into righteousness using even in chapter 4, the example of Abraham. So from chapter 1, he speaks about how all man fell, man has now Traded the creature for the creator. And Bible says has changed the natural order of things. Then chapter 2 continues the depravity of men. Then in chapter 3, he brings to bear the introduction of righteousness. He said there was a righteousness that is apart from the law that came by faith. Now the Bible also says something very interesting. That anyone that is unskillful in the word of righteousness is a babe. Now, I'll give you a simple illustration. Righteousness is not license to sin. Because Paul said in Romans chapter 6 verse 1, should we continue to sin because grace abounds? God forbid. How shall you that are dead to sin live any longer therein? So it means the goal of righteousness is death. So how are you dead still using your death as a license to sin? So the moment you pervert the truth, then we don't even understand what righteousness is all about. Because righteousness is the trading of places. We call it right standing. So usually we think of the standing before God. But right standing means you are standing in the right place. In fact, you are actually standing in the right hand of power. What that means is that he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us. That we who also knew no righteousness will become the righteousness of God. That means that if Jesus was alien to sin and we were alien to righteousness, it was a perfect tree that he that was alien to sin became sin and we that were alien to righteousness became righteousness. He didn't say we did righteous. Actually, he also didn't say Jesus did sin. So it's not what you are doing that made you righteous. That's why righteousness is a gift. Let me disturb your theology. What it means is, Ephesians 1, 6 says, wherefore he has made us accepted in the beloved. Then if we are accepted in the beloved, we are accepted as the beloved. So Paul says, beloved brethren, as beloved children. So if we are accepted as the beloved, what it means is, Jesus was standing at one point here. Then, I think, yeah, because I know you. Can you come please, sir? So imagine this is man. And man is standing in the place of sin. And Jesus is standing in the place of rightness. Then the Bible says there's a divine exchange that's going on. Now in this place of righteousness, this man, Christ, is alien to sin. He's alien to suffering. He's alien to disease. He's alien to poverty. He's alien to confusion. He's alien to fr- uh, frustration and frailty. Then he moves from this position. Remember, the Bible gives the story of that situation in Genesis chapter 15. When Abraham went to sleep, and Bible says there was a burning furnace and a smoking flux that changed places. So this is Jesus on this side. And he moved to this side. So you can move to the other side. And the moment he moved to this side, this is how Jews enact a covenant. In between them are dead animals. That means as we walk, I am entering my death. That means that Adam, who is representing Christ, or Christ, who is on this side, as he moves to this side, death is the means to access this. And as he uses death to access this, it means he ceases to be this to become this. Then it's only right to balance the equation that I too who was custom to sin, custom to health crisis, custom to poverty I have now exchanged my place with his place so now when he prays and he says in the name of Jesus the actual Latin communication is in the stead of Christ that means God answers me not because I have a nice face but because I am acting as Jesus is acting it this is the picture of righteousness So he becomes alien to sickness. He becomes alien to health crisis. He becomes alien to poverty because he's now standing where Christ stands. It's an exchange of place. Hallelujah. Thank you, sir. Now, this picture is so strong because I'm sure in the second service. I'll get more into what the new covenant is all about. But let me just start about the beginning of the story of righteousness. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1, the verse number 16, that I am not ashamed of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. For it is the power by which God is able to save. Can you put it up for me? Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of God. For it is the power of God's salvation to everyone who believes. For the Jews first and unto the Greek. Verse 17. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed. That means the gospel is the revelation of God's righteousness. Child of God. You were not saved by love. And I know, I know it's gonna bother you a little bit. You were not even saved. His Bible even says you were saved by grace. What he means by that, I'm getting to that. God didn't save you because he loves you. Because he already loves the world. But they are not saved. So God loves you. And it's not even just grace that saved you. Because if it's just grace that saved you, then it means we have a problem. It means the day God has an emotional variance, our salvation is in trouble. So God had to put the terms of our salvation on legal basis, righteousness. And righteousness is a payment. So if I come to stay in your house because you are my friend and say, you don't have rent, stay with me for a while. Anytime you get bored with me, I'm concerned about my status in your house but when God used the blood he knows man that man will not accept love alone man will not accept grace alone until there is a spilling of blood that shows that this is the receipt for what you are saying you don't have man will never be comfortable that they are really saved even with righteousness some of us doubt our salvation even after the bleeding of Christ we still doubt so imagine how it is if he didn't do that So, the gospel is the revelation of righteousness. Why is it the revelation of righteousness? Why is it the revelation of righteousness? Now, forgive me if I go a little bit back into the beginning. Once upon a time, God dwelt in a place of timeless conception. It means God didn't dwell in time. So, in the beginning, actually was not God's beginning. Because if you read the text, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That means God was God before the beginning began. Because he was already called God before beginning began. So heaven and earth does not make God God. He was already God, even if he didn't make heaven and earth. It's like Adam made this pulpit. If I don't make this pulpit, Adam still is. So it cannot be that the beginning made God. Now, what it means also is that when God was making the world and began to call things, let there be light, let there be creatures of the field, all those communications and words define a thought. It means God had thought about what light should look like. For the reason, anytime light showed or anything he called showed as it is, he said, it is good. It was good because this is actually what I pictured. Amen. Are we together? But prior to that time, there was a dispensation in the heavens Before the earth came into its refurbishment, chapter 2. Remember the Bible says in Genesis chapter 1 verse 2, and the earth was void and without form. The Hebrew says that, Tohu hasha. So the earth became formless and without form. Jeremiah chapter 4, 23 also gives that text. He said, I beheld till there was no man, till the earth became formless and void. Please, are we together? That is why in chapter 2 onwards, he separates waters. So you will never find in the Bible, God created the waters. Because he had done it in chapter 1, verse 1. Heaven and earth. But chapter 2, something happened and distorted creation. So the word is became. Became means it was not. He didn't create, it became. Are we together? It what? Became. It became means it already was, but has taken a different form. Are we together? Please wave your hands if you are here with me. Okay. All right. Now, if the F now became, we now have to investigate what caused the becoming. What made the F void and without form? And Bible says, darkness was upon the face of the deep, but the spirit hovered over the waters. So, darkness was at a portion of a place called the deep. And the spirit hovered over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Now, I'm bringing you back again. Prior to this action, there was a situation in heaven. And God in Psalm thirty-three verse six had created all the angels. The Bible says by the breath of the Almighty, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and by the breath of the might, Almighty all the starry host thereof. Psalm thirty-three verse six. So God declared heaven, earth, and they appeared. He just said, "Let there be earth. Let there be heaven. They appeared." But when he came to the angels, the stars, he just did, and all the cherubs, all the glory. And you see the beautiful thing about it: in His breath was intelligence. Because the breath of God was intelligent enough to create seraphs, cherubs, and what do you call it? Then All the normal angels ingest the breath. And they all appeared. So these were the people that were created. All these angels, all of them filled the heavens. But once upon a time, God had put all of them in various categories of function. So in Isaiah chapter 14 from 12 and Ezekiel chapter 28 from 12, you see the story there. There was one angel called Lucifer. And Lucifer was the anointed cherub that covereth. From verse 13, 14 of Ezekiel 28. And this angel, Bible says, in the day he was made, he became the sum of wisdom. All the beauties of the earth was found in him. He was a beautiful creature. Listen, if you think the devil has a red horns and a squeaky tail, you are deceiving yourself. Sometimes Satan appears as a beautiful guy, a beautiful girl. Hey. Are you here in church? Okay. Don't think the devil is ugly. Bible says he was beautiful. He was the summation of beauty and the expression of God's might and majesty. Bible calls him the harbinger of the morning. He is called the morning star. He brought. He announced the morning before the sun came out. That was Lucifer's job. And Bible says all the instruments of God were found in him. The tapestries of God. So when Lucifer walked, he was a one-man orchestra. As soon as he moves and he opens his voice, in that voice, you see the way God's voice sounds like mighty waters. It's the same Lucifer's voice. Sounded like the piano, the organ, the guitar. Every kind of instrument you can think of was in the voice of Lucifer. And he, he, he led the morning stars to sing. And one day these angels who had free will to serve God. Lucifer decided to peep into what God was doing. Now remember I said he's the anointed cherub the coverth. The word cover there is the word um And sakaf is to protect. It's to protect. Now, if you read Ezekiel's story very well, you'll notice. He says, thou hast walked to and fro the stones of God. That stones of God speaks of the virtues and attributes of God. That means that Satan knows what makes God, God. Because he's the anointed cherub that protects. Protects what? The Bible says in Psalm 89 verse 14. Psalm 8, 9, 14, Can you put it up there for me? Then in Psalm 97, the verse number two, he was speaking of how God's throne is founded. Now, see what he says righteousness and justice is the foundation of God's throne. So, righteousness and justice means God has to be just in every matter. God can never be partial, He cannot be respecter of presence. Number two, God must be right in any decision he carries it means the day god violates one of his attributes he has lost the power to rule because that's what makes his throne is the foundation how his throne is set up is on justice and righteousness and he's also done something he is so powerful he's reduced his power to his word and even in his word He extends the dimensions of power. That's how dangerous God's power is. He has reduced... Listen, I was telling somebody something. You know, to prepare a sermon is to reduce the message. I don't know if you get what I'm saying. If you're a pastor, you understand. What is coming to you versus what you're writing before what you preach are three different things. What is coming so like, oh my God! These people are going to run! Then when you start writing... After reading, like it doesn't look powerful. Like, oh, something's lost. Then when you are preaching, everybody's like looking at you like, okay. And you're like, ah, I was happy. Why are you not happy? It's the same with paintings. If I sit here and I take a canvas and start painting the landscape of this place, the landscape of Kenya, I'm seeing what my brain can paint. But what I've painted is not what actually is. So sometimes to describe God... Is to reduce God. That's why he told Moses. Your fathers knew me as El Shaddai. But that's not my name. They knew me as almighty. But my real name is I am. Because I am means anything. I am the bread of life. I am the way. The truth and the life. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am. I am. Anything you want me to be, I am. Anything, I am. My, yeah, yeah, hallelujah. <laughs> Are you here? So this Lucifer understood, because think about it, if God breathed at him for creation to come into existence, including himself, then if God has to deal with Lucifer, I think the simple thing as me, if I was God, is to just suck him in. So if I do and Lucifer, can I just do Lucifer ceases to exist. That's all. That's why when you had to deal with Lucifer, God didn't show up. Listen, it is the devil's curriculum that has taught you that the opposite of God is devil. God has no opposites. No, 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 no. He is creator. Lucifer is creature. That's why to deal with the creature, he asked Michael, deal with him. And when he left the realm of heaven, and got here, he says, sons of God, Adam, be fruitful, multiply, dominate the earth, then subdue. That means we are now the masters of the devil. Hallelujah. But let's just get back to the story. So this is what's happening now. Now, Lucifer decides that he is going to take God's throne. And that's what happens in Isaiah chapter 14 from verse 12. Iniquity was found in thy heart. When thou said, I will ascend into the throne of God. Now, how did Lucifer know these things? It means he was not in the throne of God. Can I announce to you, God does not stay in heaven. I'm sorry. No, no, no. When Solomon was dedicating his temple in 1 Kings chapter 8, he said, Lord, the heavens, the heavens of the heavens cannot contain thee. Solomon said it. Do you know what Psalm 113? I think 115 actually said. He said, Thou art a God that humbleth thyself to behold the things in heaven. God does not humble to enter heaven, He humbles to see it. Don't go far. Isaiah 66 The heaven is my throne, the earth, my footstool. So God sits on heaven, He doesn't stay there. If you create a TV, do you stay there? So I know you're asking, our father, which art in heaven? Thank you. Matthew 6 says, which, not who? Which, not who? If it's this person, he will not use which. Matthew 6, verse 9. I know you read it all the time. But let's go there, King James. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. King James. See what it says. Our father. Which You don't call your mommy witch. She's a who? Hey. (laughs) Hey. God has not dwelled in heaven. No. Psalm 8, verse 1 says, O God, thy God, thy love, how excellent is thy name. Thou hast elevated thy glory above the heavens. See what he says. There's a realm higher than heaven. The glory. That's why we are not called to heaven. We are called to glory. (laughs) Because where God stays is glory, not heaven. Are we together? No, it's in the Bible, so don't don't get... If we get raptured, we go to heaven for seven years. Anyone who dies now is on an excursion in the heavenly city. But there's a return. For 1,000 years. To reign with Christ. And after that, there's no picture of going back. Everything becomes new. And we are here. Ah, you together. (laughs) Because the earth has he given to the children of men. So the earth is our property. The heavens is God's storehouse. Anyways, let's just go back to our story, okay? (laughs) Now, this is Lucifer. Now, he's part of the confluence that is in charge of the throne of God. Michael, Gabriel, and Lucifer. These three archangels. So, they are in charge of the throne of God. And remember, God does does things in threes. The Father, the Son, the Spirit, your soul, your spirit, your body. So, it's in threes all the time. So, his top angels are in threes. That's why the Bible says, Lucifer deceived one-third. One-third of his angels. So, there were angels in his command. So, who were in charge of the two-thirds? Michael, one-third. Gabriel, one-third. In threes. Hey. Ah. Uh. <laughs> so what's happening now is this. That Lucifer now goes like, okay, I'm in charge of some people. But as we guard the throne of God and the administration of God, it's like a government official that decides to change parties. He goes leaking information. So he says, I know what and ah, I know what God is planning. Then He says in Isaiah chapter 14, go back. Yes, he said, I will ascend. Now look, listen to this. A very important story. He says, For he has said in my heart, I will ascend into heaven. It means he was not there. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. It means he was not there. I will sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. It means that's not where he was. Because if I will, it means that was not what he already had. Come on together. I was sent above the heights of the cloud. I will be like the Most High. Yet, ye were brought down. He said, I will be like the Most High. That means, if he's in charge of the throne of God, he has seen a document. And that document is in Psalm 82, verse 1. Psalm 82, verse 1. I want you to see, so it doesn't go through off your head like that. Psalm 82, verse 1. God stands... the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods. The word mighty in the Hebrew is the word else. It's the same as gods. So this is the congregation Lucifer saw. I will enter the congregation of the gods. So Lucifer saw your document. You know how I know that? The Bible says Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1 verse 3. Who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Verse 4. According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation. So before the earth was created. God had a plan for a people to look like him. And Lucifer saw it. He said I want to be those people. That is why the end of the statement was, I will be like the most high. But Adam is the image and likeness of the most high. That's what he saw. And that was the whole goal. To take the throne of God by reason of a judicial injustice. But when he did it, God found it. God told Michael, handle it. When Michael showed up, number one, he knew God is mercy and love. And God can never take his gift back. Because the gifts and callings of God, Romans 11 verse 29, is without repentance. So he knew that whatever happens, he will still have his music. He will still have his glory. Number two, he knew God loved him. And God is bound by his word. So even if God has an emotional tantrum, what the word says is how he will be judged. He was aware. So he knew and said, what can be the worst case if I try this through? So when he tried it, can you imagine attempting the all power throne? You a creature. That means he didn't do it by power. He did it by wisdom. You see, Satan's greatest strength is not power. It's cunningness. Very smart. He's not everywhere, but he has an intelligent network that makes it look like he's everywhere at the temple. Yeah. He has a high-level network precision. Number 2. He is also not all-knowing. If he was, he wouldn't enter the garden asking Eve which tree she shouldn't eat. Oh, you don't get it. If he also was, sir, uh, he wouldn't have asked the wise man, wise men through Herod, where is the Messiah? And apparently Messiah had been born 2 years and Satan was not aware. Oh my God. Jesus was born two years prior, and Satan was not aware. Because if he was aware, they should have killed all those babies in Bethlehem the day Jesus was born. It means for two years he didn't know. Oh, you give too much credit to Satan. You truly do. How can you be talking to God? And Satan is also there. I know, you said Job, when the sons of men met God, there were sons there, Benai Elohim, which is angels. We are not angels, we are sons. Imagine you have having a meeting with your son and your servant enters to come and sit in a chair. You say, hey, get out. This is family meeting. <laughs> Let's go back to our story. So this is the throne of God. And Lucifer says, listen, I cannot defeat this man by power. Power to power out, but I'm going to conflict him in his own law. If you didn't know, the assignment of Satan, I told you, is to protect Satan's job from the beginning is to be the protector of the righteousness and the justice of God. He is God's divine prosecutor. God didn't take that assignment for him. So the Bible says, be sober, be vigilant. Because the enemy, your adversary, actually the t- translation is your enemy, the prosecutor, is looking about, seeking whom he may devour. That's why when he came in, Gen- in Job chapter 1, he, the Lord asked him, from whence hast thou been? And God knew he was being going to and fro. He said, going to and fro the earth. God didn't ask, doing what? He went straight to the point, have you considered? It means I know, when you are going to and fro the earth, you are measuring people. You are weighing them. Who is falling short of the glory of God? Who is falling short of the righteousness of God? Who is falling short of the standard of God? And if anybody falls short, he will arrest you and his name is the accuser of the brethren. He comes to accuse you in the court of heaven. He has failed. Deal with him. So he knows the law of God. That's why I tell you the truth. You think you are joking in life, but Satan does not joke with your idle words. I don't joke with things that kill. Oh, I was joking. Ah, oh, I'm dead. You ah. have Ah, my liver. Ah. Oh, laughing to my death. Ah. You have no idea what you're doing. I'm finished. This is too much for me. You are sentencing yourself, and the enemy is harvesting words because he's a legal prosecutor. He's speaking. That's what the Bible says: by your own words thou art justified; by your own words, Matthew twelve, thou art condemned. That means you are speaking things that will make you stand in contempt of the court of heaven. You are speaking things, and you think it's a joke. Oh, oh my children will kill me. Ah. Huh? <laughs> So if I die, honey, will you marry anybody? God forbid I will die with you. Huh? <laughs> One day I heard a pastor, Bishop Julian. I heard a pastor say, he said, I told my wife she was not so happy. My wife asked me a question. He said, his wife, the pastor said, My wife, my wife asked me a question. That if I die, honey, what will you do? And the pastor told the wife, I'll marry another girl. <laughs> <laughs> and the lady was so disappointed. He said, How? He said, I thought you said you would die with me. I said, No. I will marry another girl. I can't sentence myself to curse. Because of love. So someone said, if I never marry you, then I can never marry anyone. That's why when you married, nobody seems to fit. Because you said it in secondary school. That if I don't marry this guy, then no one is worth it. You sentenced yourself. Quickly, let me end this. The moment Lucifer found out that, okay, in the throne of God... There is something God wants to do so I can gather people and put God in a situation. When he tried and failed, he was banished from heaven. So Revelation 12 said, woe unto the inhabitants of the earth for the enemy, the accuser of the brethren is amongst you. And when he came, the Bible now said in Ezekiel 28, that was found in the Eden of God. So before Adam showed up, there was Lucifer in the garden. And can I tell you something? That is actually one of the bases behind the tree. God advised Adam not to touch. That's another message. It wasn't that God had a problem, Adam eating a tree. It was that the enemy and his strength was from that tree. So it was a save, God was telling Adam, all you would do in this garden, feel free. But there's one particular tree that is connected to the evil one. He has inhabited it, he's around it if you go close to it there'll be a problem if you if you eat of it something is going to happen to your nature don't get there that's the reason why god gave instruction and adam when he was created lucifer looked from heaven and saw ah god's eyes glistened this is the document coming to pass No wonder in Psalm 8, the Bible says in verse 2, the angels, in verse 3, the angels ask, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Even the son of man that thou visited him. who, who Who is this guy? You don't visit angels. You visit with angels. But this one, you come to him. Who is he? Everywhere in heaven stand still because you are walking with him in the cool of the day. So Lucifer looked from afar and said, ah, surely he loves this one. Surely. And as he looked from the skies, he said, okay, if he loves this one and he hates the sin I have generated, let's find a wonderful cocktail. I'm going to put what he hates in what he loves. So the day God sees Adam, two emotions are generated, love and hate. He hates the sin in him, but he loves the man who carries the sin. God forbid, if you see a parent dealing with a child with a, a terminal disease, you love your child, but what the disease has done to your child makes you angry. Yeah. That's what God was feeling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you look at Adam, and the Bible says, Lucifer is excited. That's why Revelation 5 says, there was silence in heaven. Le- Satan was about to get God in a corner then he would shout, checkmate. Because if God takes the wrong action, he has failed the foundation. Satan will seize the chair. So Satan was just looking at God. Anything the devil does to you, it's not because of you, it's because of God. God is his target, not you. (laughs) So you looked at Adam and said, if he forgives this boy, he's not just. Because when we sin, he cast us out. So he will not be fair. He was not fair. No, no, no. At the same time too, if he kills this boy, then he's not love. So he has conflicted his nature. You think Satan accuses you to God? He also accuses God to you. It's a two-way affair. So God was enough. Was God. Tell me, the Bible said in Revelation chapter 5, John stood there and said, He saw that no man was worthy to pick up the scroll. So he began to weep much. Then an angel appeared and said, Weep not. For the lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed. The lamb, he is worthy. And when he turned to look out of the throne, instead of him to see a lion, in fact, the entire scripture, Lion of Judah is in one verse in Revelation 5. It's nowhere in the Bible. Jesus is called the lion once in regards to his work against Satan. But he's called lamb as a memorial of a sacrifice to God and for us. So when he turned, he saw a lamb gentle, who took the scroll. And when he took the scroll, God was satisfied. And Lucifer was wondering, what is God doing? Because Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the wisdom of the princes of this world, which is coming to naught, because had they known whom they were crucifying, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of hosts. So when he came down to the earth, they were wondering, what is going on? Not knowing God had devised the strategy. I have to carry out the sentence of death, because the soul that sins must die. And the wages of sin is death. And it is only blood that makes atonement for sin. Yet if I kill Adam, he doesn't have the capacity to resurrect to enjoy what I've planned. So I have to send myself. So there was a council meeting in heaven. So in Acts chapter 2 verse 23, who being delivered by the foreknowledge and the predeterminate counsel of the will of God. So God had a council meeting with himself. And decided that we have to go. And Jesus said since I am the son. I will come. That means. I give you a simple scenario. In a secondary school. If you have a law. That any person that goes. To uh, outside the school. After 10 p.m. in the night. You are going to face. 20 strokes of the cane. Then anybody does it, it. Is carried out by the headmaster. Then one day. The headmaster's own son, who is a student, breaks the same law. Now, is the headmaster's son the one who gave the law? He's broken the law. The man wants to be partial, but he's going to be in trouble because there will be an uprising in the school. That when it was your child, you didn't carry out justice. So, what does the headmaster do? He goes to the office and tells the teachers to cane him. This is what Jesus did on the cross. The God who requires blood from us rather gave us his blood. So when he did that, he fulfilled two things. Death had occurred, so justice was satisfied. At the same time, his love was revealed. No wonder the psalmist said, righteousness and peace they have met, Psalm 85. And mercy and justice have kissed at the cross. So at the cross, God was receiving ransom to satisfy his justice. No wonder Isaiah 53 said, he shall see the travail of his soul and be satisfied. So child of God, righteousness is a mighty bond. It has been paid by the blood of the everlasting God. Today I tell you, your salvation is not mere, it's precious. No wonder Jesus, Paul said, Peter said through his epistles in 1 Peter 1 18, he said, dearly beloved, ye are not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold. But by the precious blood, the precious blood, you are not delivered by silver and gold from the traditions and vain communications of your fathers, but by the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, who was like a lamb without blemish and without sin. That's what righteousness is all about. So when the Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and not its, his. It means the kingdom is a person. His righteousness. All other things shall be added to you. You must know your righteousness. So the next time the devil comes to tell you, you are sick, tell him he's been paid for. That's an illegal transaction. <laughs> the next time the devil tells you your marriage is failing, tell him there is blood for it. Do you know when Jesus rose up from the grave, he entered the room, and when he entered, he opened his hand, and there were holes in his hand, and he said, "Shalom." You do know, understand? Shalom It's from the root word shalem to pay. Do you know why when Jesus was erected, he still had holes in his hand? He wanted to tell the devil and the universe. If you are looking for the invoice that these people have been bought at a price. This is the receipt. I'm the receipt. This is my back. I took the marks. That's the hole on my side. Everything that I suffered, why didn't he resurrect with a full body? He kept the holes. He told Thomas, put your hand at my side. The hole is still there. Put it in my hand. It's still there. So that when the demons and wizards appear, tell them the hole is proof that he paid. Righteousness. Righteousness today, what are you allowing in your life? It is that transaction of ignorance. Because Isaiah 5.13 says, my people are gone. They were not captured. Ignorance is what makes you submit yourself freely as a captive. My people are gone into captivity. Look at that. are gone. They were not caught. They went. Because of ignorance. Some of you don't know. So the devil has held your leg for a long time. You've been struggling with this leg pain for a while. Your mind is always confused. You're struggling with mental disorder because you don't know it's paid for. No wonder I like that old him, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Help me, sins. I just want you to kindly stand on your feet as we pray to God. He he was, he was. Jesus paid it all not some all all to him I know in the days of Elijah when they stood at the place to offer the sacrifice they put the bull on the altar they pour water on it and as they poured water on it the Bible says the fire came from the heavens it burned the sacrifice it burned the wood it burned the stones and dried up all the water that means the judgment was higher than the offering but in the case of Jesus he's an overpayment if the blood of bulls and goats is capable to keep you from the judgment of God year by year then the blood of a virgin might be higher, how much more the blood of God is an overpayment, it's an overpayment I come to tell you the gospel is you owe $20,000 but Jesus paid 20 million dollars it is not a partial payment it's an overpayment. payment so he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask or imagine speak to the lord this morning the lord i accept the payment lord i accept the payment just speak to the lord this morning in the name of jesus